This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Happy Sunday morning. Merry Christmas, if you can get out that one, all right? <laughs> Merry Christmas, yes. Welcome, welcome to church. And I, I truly hope it's a happy Sunday morning for you. I know it is for me. And uh, I, I'm always blessed at this season of the year to see how even the spillover influence of Jesus in people's lives who have nothing to do with him really, other than somehow their life is somewhat brushes up beside his during the Christmas season. And the amazing influence and power of Jesus' life. Um, I'm just blessed by that every Christmas season. And uh, so I just want to say welcome to you this morning. I have a promise to pass on to all of us here. For those of us who come all the time, it's really a reminder promise. And for those of you who are here for the very first time, or maybe you're in church for the very first time in a long time, I want to give you a promise. And the promise is this. Jesus said, when you gather together in my name, and this is a church service where we've gathered in Jesus' name, here's his promise. He says, I will meet you there. And so I just want to say, don't be surprised if during this service you have some emotions and some feelings and some things going on in your heart and in your life that maybe you've never experienced before or you haven't had for a long time. Because that's what happens when people come and they actually encounter Jesus. And I have prayed for all of us this morning that we will encounter Jesus during this service. Because you go through Christmas and you miss Jesus. You, you understand what's wrong with that? Yeah. You miss the whole heart of it. If you come to a Christmas service and you miss Jesus, you really miss the heart and soul of what Christmas is about. So I want to say welcome and uh, I hope you enjoy the morning. Now, if you'll take your program on the inside of your program, you'll find some fill-in-the-blank notes. We're going to work our way through that, but we have we have uh, something that I want to do while you're doing that. You know, it's one thing uh, to talk about Christmas as, let's say, a historical event that took place some 2,000 years ago, and there's plenty of evidence that points toward its historicity. That's one thing. For some other people, they feel like, well, Christmas is like an Aesop's fable or a fairy tale. You know, there's a lot of wonderful lessons in there, but it's not actually real, that sort of thing. Um, I want to tell you this morning that Christmas is far more than a historical event. It certainly is far more than a fairy tale or an Aesop's fable. I, I want to tell you something about Christmas this morning. It's the centerpiece of eternity. And if you don't get that, you'll miss what Christmas is really about. Bob touched on it a little bit when he talked about the guy that stepped out of the movie into real life and then stepped back out of real life into the movie. I want you to think with me for just a minute about God stepping out of eternity and into time. Stepping out of heaven and into earth. Stepping out of the unseen and into the seen. Stepping out of a place where we could not feel Him, could not touch Him, could not see Him, could not hear Him. And stepping into a realm in which we could do all of the above. And not just for a moment, and not just appearing to one or two people, but for some 33 years. 
and seen and touched and heard by thousands of people who became eyewitnesses. And so today, some 2,000 years later, more than 2 billion people, in fact, more than 3 billion people on our planet claim to be followers of Jesus. And yet he lived in obscurity, really. Born in a town that probably not a half a dozen people in this audience have ever visited. When I visited it a few years ago, didn't even have one traffic signal in the whole town. Just a little obscure town. Now, you know what the real question is? Can the Jesus of Christmas some 2,000 years later make any difference in my life? Isn't that a fair question? Because, friends, if the answer to that is no, then why do we come here? We could go to the mall and buy some more presents, right? Yeah, because at least we can play with those. But the real answer is, can the Jesus of Christmas change my life some 2,000 years later? The answer to that is yes, and not just because I said so, and not just because the Bible says so. But I've asked a friend to come and share with you a little bit of his story. And his is the story of, of a guy who encountered Jesus at this church on a Sunday morning when he least expected to encounter him. And so I want you to welcome with me to the stage Brad Rook. Uh, you call me? No. no. Oh, yeah. He's around here somewhere. There he comes. All right, Brad, come on out. Back there. He's back there praying with Bob. Yeah, there you go. Bob, Bob was <laughs> harassing you, huh? Okay, well, Brad, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and uh, how you came to New Life. Well, I'm the oldest of six. I'm married, by the way. Lori's my wife. We have two children. Um, I'm the oldest of six kids. My dad was in the military, so he was a very stern father. And uh, So you were a military brat? For, for 10 years, but then he worked for the military civil service, but same thing. Gotcha. Um, I don't know. But so how did you end up at New Life? Oh, Lori. Lori joined New Life about two years before I did and, you know, dragged me screaming and hollering to Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day and things like that. And something started to stir. Oh, yeah? So how many times had you been here before you, you thought, hmm, there's something in here for me? Boy, you know, I really don't. I, I really can't pinpoint it. No, I, can't a a couple of times, but, you know, nothing. I'll, I'll never forget the time that you came and ran me down in the parking lot. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to get free and clear. I came to the service, did my thing for my wife, and then I went right out to the parking lot, and Ron comes out, hey, wait a minute, it's nice to see you. Thanks for coming. And, and, and I'm and glad I, I ran you down. Yeah, me too, to be honest with yeah. you. Me too. So... What did you notice first began to change about your life once you started coming to New Life? Well, starting to believe that... I always believed there was a God. I was raised... Sorry, I had to back up here. I was mm-hmm. raised Catholic. Mom made me go, you know, catechism and all that. But I didn't know. I didn't have a connection with God. I didn't know who God was. Coming here and listening and seeing how this Christian service is... You can talk with God. You do have a connection. You can pray to Him and things will be answered. And some, something just started. I don't know. And Yeah, no, that's great. That's, I was just telling them a while ago that uh, don't be surprised if you're sitting here and 
and you start feeling emotions and things that you haven't felt Thank ever you. before. If I start to cry, please bear with me because I'm a very emotional guy and yeah. I've already been boohooing out there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So you started coming to New Life and then somewhere along the line, you got involved in a life group. Was that like kind of the first major step? Well, I went through, uh, what was the, the Bible class that you taught? Bible 101? No, it wasn't like the one before Life Application Bible Service over at Maria. That was the first time I went to any kind of Bible class. And okay. Lori took me there. and Journey through the Bible. Journey through the Bible. Thank there you, you. go. Yeah. And uh, that was the first time I opened a Bible. Wow. Wow. And, and then you started, I, that class lasted, what, maybe two years, something like that? Quite yeah, and then it, yeah, and then it came and over then here. It, and then it came over here. And I followed it over here. Yeah. Now, somewhere along the line, you made a decision that you were going to follow Christ and become a Christian and all that stuff. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I'd been coming a little bit, and I wasn't sure if I was going to become a Christian or not. And I think uh, you guys know Dell in Alberta. And Dell was really working working on me to become a Christian. And I was kind of shunning him off, and I knew he was moving. They were leaving, so I figured I had this nailed. I didn't have to make a commitment yet. <laughs> well, the very day that Dell and Alberta left, he called me and says, we still haven't had that coffee yet. And I'll be darned if it wasn't that very day that I was saved. That was Dell's last thing to do in Petaluma was to save me. And yeah, I'm so thankful for that. It was a wonderful thing that he had done in my life to get me started. Wow. Wow. So, okay. Now, so now you, you're a Christian, you're coming to church, you're going to life group, but um, there's a secret in your life. Yeah, there is. That, yeah. that you were carrying. What was that secret? I have a, uh, I suffer from alcohol addiction. I've become an alcoholic over the years, not knowing it or not, not wanting to believe it. I've been drinking for, for 30 years. And uh, it's kind of really put a strain on our marriage put a strain on me raising my children, on my marriage, and I just wasn't, a, I was not a good husband. The, our, our oldest daughter, Jenna, the first, at least the first five years of her life, I wasn't there for Lori and Jenna, and that's one of my biggest shames, that I, that I wasn't there, and I mentioned this to Jenna, I gave my testimony a week ago in my life, in my life group class, and, uh, and I mentioned it to her. She was cutting my hair. I told her what I was doing. She was very proud of me. And she actually, you know, gave me a vote of confidence that I did do good, that I was a good father. And that, that really made a lot, meant a lot to me. Yeah, for sure. Well, I remember praying through the prayer requests. I believe it was after an Easter service. And, of course, it, the prayer request, it only had the first name. And it said Brad. And then I believe the request was... Something about pray for me, I drink too much. Do you remember writing that request? I do, as a matter of fact. And um, I remember at the time thinking, I don't know for sure which Brad that is. Uh, but I just began to pray that, that God would begin to speak to you about that. And, um, and I'm glad that eventually, um, somewhere along the line, I remember golfing with you one day and we started talking and, and um, you had never shared with me that secret, and I don't remember what all led to it that day, golfing, but somehow you came out with, there's something in my life that you don't know anything about. Do you remember that? I do, yes, and it was, it was so hard for me. I always thought Christian people, you know, were always so perfect, didn't have the everyday problems that other people do. Was I ever wrong? <laughs> and 
And it was very hard for me, you know, golfing. I drink a lot when I golf and have a good time, but it was very hard for me to come forward to you because I got a lot of, a lot of faith in you, I mean, for helping me out. doing And for me to come forward and tell you that I had a drinking problem was very, very difficult for me, Yeah, very difficult. I remember that day you said, well, there's something in my life I need to talk to you about, and I'm not sure I can. And I remember saying to you, do you mind if I guess? And you said, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I said, there was a prayer request last Easter, and I referred to the prayer request, was that you? And you said, yeah, that was me. And um, so then, what happened in your life after that? Because as you stand before me today, that's no longer a secret. And where are you in the journey of sobriety? It's no longer an issue either. You know, it, for starters, if I got connected with Michael in the uh, Celebrate Recovery group on Tuesday nights, what a blessing that was. God plugged me to where I needed to go. Fantastic blessing. Then Randy and Christine started a life group, a healing group. Plugged me in there. I'm, what a fantastic blessing that was. You know, it, working on my alcoholism, working on the emotions that go with it, and all the emotions that I had with my wife over the years where I was a failure as a husband. So those two steps, God doing in my life, was a fantastic journey. And now, last Wednesday was nine months for me being dry, and, and God has totally taken the will for me to drink out of my life. And I can't, I can't believe it. It's all God. Yeah, Brad just said something that I want to make sure you hear and understand. Because when we were visiting in the golf cart, one of the questions I asked Brad was, Brad, why do you drink? And I'll never forget what he said. I drink because I like the taste of alcohol. I don't anymore. I yeah. Have, I don't anymore. And, that, and, and that's what he just said while we were applauding. And that is, it was God who took the desire from that away from him. And, um, and so that's huge. So, now, for those sitting in our audience who say... Okay, that might happen in Brad's life, but I don't think that's going to happen in my life. What would you say? Oh, but it will. Pray. Prayer. God answers prayers. You know, God wouldn't have stirred anything up in me if it wasn't for my wife, Lori, coming here two years and praying to get God to soften my heart and to work in my life to change me. So it all started with her. And then he answered her prayer by bringing me here and by working with me and plugging the right people into my life. And, you know, God, I just, I love this place. Honestly, I do. I love coming to church. Yeah. Brad was the guy who told me not too long ago that he could live here. So there you go. (laughs) There you go. Would you join me with a prayer for Brad? And, uh, Father, I just stand with a good friend, a good Christian brother, and a man whose life you have just amazingly changed. And, Lord, I pray. Uh, that the future chapters would be just as life-changing. And I pray even more for the rest of us that we would learn how to fully engage with you. Wherever we are on that journey, that we would fully engage with you, knowing that you will change us as you have changed Brad. Father, we bless and thank you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. It just doesn't get a whole lot better than that, does it? Yeah, every once in a while, Brad will... In fact, he told me early this morning, he said, you know, if someone had told me even 
three or four years ago that I would be going to church every Sunday, I would have said, man, you are crazy. Why would I do that? And, and if someone had told him, hey, Brad, let me take a picture of you standing in front of two or three hundred people sharing your testimony about how God changed your life, and that's going to be you in two or three years, what would you have said? <laughs> it was like, yeah, right. No way. So uh, I, that, that's a message of hope. That really is, friends, the Christmas message. That, that's the message of Christianity. And as much as that, as we want to make that Brad story, can I tell you that that's really Jesus' story? Because Brad's story was the first 30-some years of drinking. You understand? Jesus' story is the last nine months of Brad being a, a fully functional human being. He was engaging with his family and engaged with his wife and, and doing the things that, uh, looking back, he wished he had been doing for the last 30-some years. So, having said all that as a backdrop, let's jump into what I want to talk to you about today, because it really is the application of that. And we are, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Christmas Preview, because it's based on a prophecy that God gave to the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. And so let's go look at it. Our focus teaching says, a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and he will be our ruler. He will be called, and here they are, four titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. I wrote in my notes, four titles means four truths. And here are the four truths. The wonderful counselor means that Jesus wants to be our personal guide and walk us through the struggles of this life. By the way, no one goes to see a counselor when you have no struggle, correct? So the fact that Jesus would be called wonderful counselor is a direct reference to the fact that you and I are going to struggle in this life. And so this morning, if you're struggling and you think, oh my goodness, I want to be like other people and not struggle, well, welcome to the human race. We're all struggling, okay? We all have different struggles, but Christ wants to come alongside of us and be a personal counselor and walk with us through the struggles of this life. Number two, mighty God. That means that we can completely trust every word that Jesus says. Why? Because he was far more than just a great teacher. He was and is whom? God. And if you missed that sermon last week, I want to challenge you to go to our website and pull up the podcast and listen to it. Because if you don't understand that Jesus is God and that it was God stepping out of time and God coming to earth, if you don't understand that, then the real punch and the power of Christmas will never take place in your life because Jesus was and is God in human flesh. The third title is this, Eternal Father. What does that mean? It means that Jesus' intent is to relate to us as a perfect father would relate to his children. Now I want you to see the contrast between the title we just talked about, and that is Mighty God, and this one, Eternal Father. 
See, sometimes when we get a hold of the idea of God, we, we start to grasp the idea that God is all-powerful and all-knowing and He's ever-present and He's everywhere. And we get this idea that God dwells in heaven and everything. I mean, He can do anything, say anything, which is really great. We need to know, I wouldn't want to worship a God who didn't have that kind of power. And yet, God wants us to know that though He has all power and knows everything, and is the mighty God, here's the opposite, the flip side of that coin, that God is our eternal Father. I want you to look at the top of your notes. What's the title of this message? Bringing it where? Home. You see, if you worship a God, and you worship a God who's only in heaven, then friend, you have missed half of who God is. You've got to worship the God who's in your home, who wants to be in your heart, who wants to be your eternal Father, not just a distant God out there somewhere. And then title number four is this, the Prince of Peace. And we're going to look at this next week. But uh, Jesus brings a peace that transcends every other peace that's available to us. And so this morning, I ask you, how would a perfect father relate to his children because that's jesus intent that he would be our eternal father but before i jump into that subject i want to say this to you every time i talk about fathers and every time i talk about mothers i realize in our audience there are people for whom this is a very very painful subject because your father was maybe not only dysfunctional but, but maybe even abusive or completely absent. And you go, oh, great, here comes this subject again. Well, I want to be sensitive to, to who you are. I want to be sensitive to where you've come from. But I do, I do want to say two things to you, and I think it's important for all of us to know this. Number one, we were all raised by earthly fathers who were less than perfect. Is that true? Believe it or not, even my kids were raised by an earthly father who was less than perfect, right? Okay, you can laugh. That is funny. Yes. And you know what I hope? I hope that my kids grow up and are better parents for their children than I was able to be for them. I pray that in their life. And I pray that they can take what we gave them and build on it. But even as they build on it, I realize that my grandchildren are being raised by earthly parents who are less than perfect. So you know what? We all bring into adulthood baggage from our, from our homes of origin. Is that true? It is true. Okay? So we're kind of all in that together to varying degrees, but we're all in that together. And the second thing I want you to know, and it is the heart and soul of this message, and I want you to get it because it's the heart and soul of Christmas, and that is we all have a perfect Father available to us. You understand? Jesus is no more available to me than He is to you, and no more available to you than He is to me. And His intent is to come in and live in our hearts and be for us an eternal Father. So, as we jump into this, what things would a perfect father do for his kids? 
Well, that's a very, very long list. And obviously, we can't cover them all this morning. So uh, as I prayed about this, I felt like God wanted me to touch on three things. So I'm going to touch on three things, but I want you to know right up front, this is not an exhaustive study of fatherhood, all right? So we're going to touch on three very, very important things, and, and they are all central to the Christian message. And so the first thing that, uh, that a perfect father would do for his kids is he would give them life. In fact, that's kind of the first thing that a father does. I don't want to be graphic or gross, but I want you to understand that the first thing a father does in order to become a father is he implants his own DNA. And the child takes that DNA and lives with that DNA for as long as they live. They carry the DNA of their father and their mother in them. Unfortunately, we tend to connect that with crime and investigation and so forth, and that's how you get linked to crimes. But thats I want you to go beyond that sort of forensic stuff, and I want you to think a little bit about the fact that your own earthly father has given you his DNA. As I stand before you today, I carry my own father's DNA in me. I find, you know, it's crazy. I look at my index finger and it looks exactly like my dad's index finger. And I know that doesn't make any difference to you, okay? But it has the same shape and it's twisted about 30 or 40 degrees, just like his was. And you know, I, when I look at my own hand, I remember my father who died some four years ago. And I'm still grateful that he was the one who gave me life. I'll talk to you a little bit more about him in a few minutes. I want you to know that you not only have an earthly father, but you have a heavenly father who wants to impart his DNA in your life. You know, Brad just stood up here. And and Brad talked to you about his life before Jesus and his life after Jesus. His life before he had the DNA of God's eternal spirit living in him after he chose to be, before he chose to become a Christian. And, and when he chose to become a Christian, and listen to this, many of you are familiar with the fact that the Bible talks about being born again. Okay? In fact, I saw a bumper sticker yesterday, obviously from somebody who didn't get it, because the bumper sticker says, if you're born again, do you have two, do you have two belly buttons? Okay, somebody who probably thought he or she was pretty smart, all right? But they didn't get it. Here's what I want you to know. If you're born again, you have two spirits living in you, not two belly buttons. You have the spirit that you had before Christ, and now you have the spirit of Christ living in you, and God puts his spirit in your heart, and now you begin to carry the DNA of the eternal God in you. He gives you life. But friends, He doesn't just give you His DNA. He doesn't just give you His Spirit. Any more than, what do we call an earthly father who implants his DNA and then leaves? Yeah, absent father, right? Neglectful father. Irresponsible father. All those things. God is none of those. He not only imparts His DNA and puts it in your life, but He wants to come and help you learn how to live. He wants you to really enjoy life. Take a look at this passage. Jesus himself said, 
Christmas is God coming to earth. Why did He come? He said, I came that they may have what? Life and have it how? To the full. What a beautiful story that Brad shared of how his life is so full today and how empty it used to be. I came that they may have life. And I want to tell you one of the great misconceptions of life. Are you ready? And if you have children, and you have children that either are or were teenagers, you know this to be true. One of the great misconceptions of life is parents interfere with real life. Isn't that right? I was a teenager once. I remember believing that. By golly, I could be happy if I just had no parents. Yeah, right. Well, can I tell you that that's not just true of earthly children? It's the basic misconception that most of us start out with of God, that God interferes with real life. He comes down with his Ten Commandments. Who could enjoy life with those? Right? And yet the truth is, The older we live, the more we realize that our eternal Father actually knows a lot more about life than we do. He knows it all. Now, here's Jesus' promise to you. And I'm so blessed that I get to deliver the promise. His promise is no matter who you are, no matter how messed up your life is, no matter how old and late in life it is for you, no matter what you've done, no matter how much damage you've done, it really doesn't make any difference. The promise that Jesus gives to you is this. I have come to give you life. I want to be your eternal father. And if you will come to me and you will choose to be my son or my daughter, I will begin to reconstruct your life and enable you to begin to experience life like you've never had before. It's the real deal. Now, wouldn't you agree with me? A perfect father is one who would give his children life. Yeah. What else would a perfect father do? A perfect father would do this. Beyond giving life, he would protect. He would, he would protect his children. I spoke to you a while ago about my father's index finger. There was a reason why I knew my father's index finger so well. It wasn't what you think. <laughs> Although I did get that one too. I want to talk to you about the darkness. As a kid, I was petrified of the dark. We lived out in the country. Two miles from town, there were no street lights. Out where we lived, it was pitch black. We lived in a house that had an underground basement. And, and unfortunately, the switch to the light for our underground basement was at the bottom of the stairs. Not well designed, would you say? And so when you had to go to the basement and it was nighttime, you felt your way down the stairway to the bottom of the stairs and you reached around the corner and you hit the light switch. But we had an old house and it had the, some of you will remember the old fuses that were round and you 
screwed them in like a light bulb. And, and, and if you had an electrical system that was that old, it tended to fault quite often. And of course, it, it, when, when the fuse went out for the basement lights, it was an interesting proposition, right? Well, I can remember walking with my dad. And I can remember being petrified of the dark. But I can also remember how I felt. He put out his finger. I'd reach up, take a hold of his finger. It seemed huge to me. And you know something? The monsters vanished. Gone. One finger from my dad. It's all it took. Intuitively and instinctively, this little kid knew that a father protects. Hmm. Let me tell you one other story. Because there are times when my father's finger was not enough. I was also afraid of barking and growling dogs. And when we would, my father was a pastor and we went to a lot of people's homes and went to a lot of places and we'd go inside the gate and all of a sudden the dog would come out, you know, a giant chihuahua, right? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. And it's, and it's barking and it's showing me his teeth and stuff. And, 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 you know, I could not see the tail for the teeth. You understand how that works? And I couldn't tell the dog really wanted to see me. It just wanted to lunge at me. Right? In those times, when my dad would put out his finger, I would grab his finger, but I would begin to slink behind him. Because on the inside, I was petrified. In those times, my father would turn around and he would pick me up. Put me in his arms. Above the danger... And guess what? Evidently, I didn't care if the dog bit my dad. (laughs) I was okay. I felt safe. I felt secure. I was where I needed to be because, again, instinctively, I knew that my father protects me. Now, did my father protect me from everything in life so I had no struggles? No, because that wouldn't have been good for me. But when he could tell there was real danger or even significant perceived danger, he took measures to bring peace to my heart and soul. Now, when the Bible says that God left heaven and came to earth to be our eternal father, he wants us to know that his finger is available to us like this and not like that. Right? And he wants us to know that there are times when he will reach down and pick us up and carry us. And probably everybody in this audience has read the, the poem Footprints. Right? Yeah. He carries us. Jesus said this. And be sure of this. Let's go back one screen. Be sure of this. I am always with you even to the end of the age. Let's read a couple more. The temptations in your life, 
even bread, the temptation that you have to drink, the the great desire that you have for alcohol, and 30 years of feeding that desire and growing it in your life, Brad, even you, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be what? More than you can stand. But what will God do when you are tempted? He will show you a way out so you can endure. God, friends, is always protecting you and me. And Psalm 23, a verse I know most of you know. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Number three. A perfect father is one who affirms and celebrates. Now, can I tell you, it's, it's, it's fairly instinctive for most of us fathers to impart our DNA and to give life. And it's fairly instinctive for most of us to want to protect our children. But I can tell you that most fathers I know are not in danger of over-affirming their children. That doesn't come nearly so naturally to most of us. I want you to write this down underneath that point in your notes. Affirmation empowers... Okay? But criticism debilitates. Can you write that out? Affirmation empowers, but criticism debilitates. I was blessed with a very, very good earthly father in virtually every regard. You know one of the things that my dad did for me that looking back on it I realized was absolutely huge in my life? Looking back, I realize my father always anticipated and expected that I would grow up to be a great young man. It was just there. He always cast that vision in my, in my life. His default setting was, Ron, someday you are going to grow up and you are going to bless me, you're going to bless your mother, and you're going to bless people. You're a good boy. I know it. You have a good heart. (laughs) Were there times when it didn't seem like that? Oh, yes. (laughs) I had the same challenges that every other kid has. I used to get... I got more than one spanking in my life for pulling one leg at a time off of a spider (laughs) to see how many it could actually get along without. I was blessed with an older brother who was a charter member of PETA. (laughs) Golly, I got in trouble. Mom, he's doing it again. Yeah, I I, I was born kind of naturally mean. and I I don't really like to admit that, but that, that is who I am. But you know, even in those times, my father would come alongside me and he would say, Ron, you're a good boy. You have a good heart. It was huge in my life. And I hear parents saying the opposite to their kids. What are you thinking? You know what kind of kid you are? You keep doing this, you'll never amount to anything in life. 
And they give, and even worse than that, they'll call their children names. Now, I, I'm not here to make you feel guilty about the way you parent. But the reason I bring that up to you is because if you had parents who did that, and if you're doing that to your children, okay, the freebie lesson today is don't do that anymore, okay? Because you'll sow damage into your child's life. But there's, there's a message that I want you to get out of the Christmas message because you can easily transfer that to Jesus and think that that's how he looks at you when you struggle. That you're bad and that you're never going to amount to anything. And, and that, you know, unless he comes in and does some great miracle in your life, you're just going to waste away and be nothing because really you are nothing to begin with. And the message of Christmas is not that, friends. You have an eternal father who looks at you and says, yeah, you've got some problems in your life, but you're going to be good. And I'm going to work in your life because there's value in you. You were made in my image and we're going to recapture that and we're going to bring that to the surface and I'm going to do in your life what I've always wanted to do in your life because you're my son, you're my daughter. perfect father is one who affirms and celebrates. Let's read. God says, I will welcome you and be a father to you. And you will be my sons and my daughters. Friends, that's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And I have quite a few favorites, but that's one of them. And I think of it often. God says to me, run. I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. And you will be my son. Paul writes to the people at the church in Philippi and he says, I am certain that God who began this good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Friends, God looks at you and he says, you know, just give me your life and we're going to take this journey together and you're going to do great because you're my son and you're my daughter. And I, I don't just demand good things of you. I anticipate that that's what you're going to do because of the heart and soul you have. As we close, there's one thing that separates Jesus from all other fathers. And friends, this is something that you and I can't do. I can't do this for my kids. Only God can do this. And here it is. Our perfect father is what kind of a father? An eternal one. God has entrusted me with three children in this life, and I get them at best for a few decades, and I love every minute of it. I'm looking forward to Christmas Eve. After we get done with the services here, we are doing a family sleepover. I'm on board with that. I think that's a great thing. I'm looking forward to that night because two of my kids live in this town, and and, and we're just going to have fun. It, 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 from an earthly standpoint, it doesn't get any richer, deeper, or fuller than that. But I have them only for a few decades because in reality, they have one, only one eternal Father. And the great thing is, He will never leave them. He will never forsake them. So I was praying through this message and 
making it on Tuesday morning, I was struck with a thought that moved me immediately to tears. And that is, at some point, my own eyes will be closed in death. My own earthly father is already gone. So I only have one father here now. It's my eternal father. And my prayer is, at the end of my life, whatever that looks like, and when I lay on my deathbed, whatever that looks like, my prayer is that my eternal father will be so real to me that he will not put out his finger for me and say, here, Ron, grab my finger in death, but that he will carry me. Why? If he can't be my father then, why would I trust him to be my father now? And you know, the reality is sooner or later, that's all of us. I stood in front of a group yesterday and I did the memorial service of a man who was 52 years of age. He was in perfect health. He never ate any junk food in his life. He hiked and biked continuously, but in a heartbeat, he was gone at 52. Friends, that could happen to any of us. My prayer is that you and I would connect with our eternal Father so when that moment comes for us, we can jump up in his arms and say, carry me through. And that is the real message of Christmas. He is our eternal Father. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are so, so very grateful that you didn't come just as a mighty God, although we bless you for that, and know that we can fully trust you and know that anything that we throw your direction, you have more than enough power to handle it. But we're so grateful that you also came as an eternal Father, one who loves us, one who knows us better than anybody else knows us, one who reaches out his finger and says, here, grab a hold. And you walk with us through the struggles of life and then one who picks us up when the way gets really tough and really dangerous. Lord, I pray for every one of us in the audience this morning. If we've been Christians for many years, God, I pray that this Christmas we have a fresh new awareness of your presence in our life that will just wash over us and we'll be moved to tears at how much you love us and how blessed we are that you are our Father. And Lord, for those of us, like Brad, who maybe have come to church, but just kind of hanging around, and we kind of like the field, but we've never actually made that choice until Dell sat down with him and said, Hey, Brad, how about today? Well, Lord, would you help us to realize this is our how about today? And that on this day, we would choose to follow you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.